We're so glad to have you here at Salem Chapel. And uh, like I said, if you're new with us, my name is Johnny Pereira. The privilege of being the lead pastor here. We're so glad that you joined us. Whether you're in this room, whether you're watching us online, uh, welcome. Uh, we have been in this series. I'll ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. We have been in this series entitled Different, really looking at this letter that the Apostle Peter writes to uh, churches scattered over the five provinces of Asia Minor under Roman persecution these churches being primarily made up of Jewish believers, uh, people that had placed their faith and trust in Christ who were from Israel, who uh, because Rome had come and, and conquered Jerusalem and conquered Israel, really these families and these individuals were scattered all over the known world at the time, scattered from each other, scattered from family, enduring persecution because of their faith. And so the Apostle Peter writes this letter to them to encourage them. And what he reminds them of is their relationship with Jesus Christ and how that is their living hope and how that has made them different, not in a pretentious way, not in a um, better than you, prideful way, but in a humble way, in an appreciative way, in a way that gives them the encouragement that they need to continue to serve the Lord faithfully, knowing that they also have a hope of a future with the Lord forever in heaven one day. And so we've been looking at this letter, hard to believe, right, since January. It's crazy how fast this year has already gone. But we've been looking at how do you, how do I live differently in this world that is not my final home if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? How do I live faithfully in this world that is not my heaven, not that amazing things don't happen, but in a world that also means that I'm going to, because I live in a sinful world, going to experience pain, going to experience difficult circumstances, going to experience all the many things that, unfortunately, life throws at us, and how do I live faithfully in the midst of that? And so this morning, we're going to come to five verses that for all intents and purposes, if you've been following along in our reading plan that you can access on our website, SalemChapel.org, um, you would have already read this passage of Scripture because we have you read a week ahead if you're following along with that. And you would come to this passage of Scripture and you'd be like, uh, okay, this seems to be something not for me, but, but honestly, Johnny, more for you or more for our elders. Because in these verses, Peter is going to lay out what is expected of church leaders in the church. And so if you've drawn that conclusion, I would say, yes, you are right. But if you're thinking it's not for you, I would say you're wrong. So is it for me? Absolutely. Is it for you? Absolutely. And so what we're going to look at today really is Peter laying before the elders who oversee these churches in Asia Minor, full of hurting people, full of people who have been persecuted for their faith, the elders not being exempt from that. But what is expected of church leaders, not just how to lead in the times when everything seems to be clicking, when everything seems to be growing, when all the money seems to be, man, you're hitting budget, like all of those things, like, like it's, it's, easier for leaders to lead and honestly for some of their deficiencies to be covered through what we deem as success. But what does it look like to lead in a church when things are hard, when things are difficult? 
What does it look like for you to follow Jesus and to be connected to a local church when things are difficult? You didn't need to come to Salem Chapel today to be reminded of how difficult 2020 has been. I think that's one of the unique things about this last year is that no one was exempt from 2020 intersecting their life, not in a, hey, I'm glad you're here, but in a, in a way that honestly you're like, man, we had to, we, we've had to navigate through some things that were difficult. We are having to navigate through some things that are very difficult, that are testing us. How many of you ever heard of the teabag principle? Raise your hand. Okay, not many of you. Let me ask it this way. How many of you enjoy drinking tea, like hot tea specifically? Okay, uh, not a really thing for me, but obviously a lot of people for you. So think about it. When you take hot tea, especially, if you take, really it doesn't matter, but if you take hot tea, let's use hot tea as an example, and you boil that water, and then what do you do? You drop a tea bag inside of that cup of hot water, and what happens? What's inside the tea bag, because it's heated up, what happens? Comes out. That is true of you. That when the temperature gauge is turned up in your life, what is inside comes out. It's true. So for some of us, maybe we can even look at this last year and say, okay, some of us have had the temperature turned up higher than others, but nonetheless, all of us had have, the temper, have had the temperature gauge, if we're gonna use that analogy, turn up. And what we are faced with, if we are being introspective at all, in our relationships, if you're married this morning, if you're married in your home with your kids, if you have kids, if you're in a dating relationship, if you're in any interpersonal relationship whatsoever, at work, whatever it is, is as that temperature gauge has been turned up, all of a sudden now what's inside your head the words that you've been keeping in your mouth deep down, whatever you've driven down and packed down, what has happened? It has bubbled to the surface. Why? Because of the teabag principle. And so we're gonna look at today, even though none of us, as far as I know, those watching or in this room have ever had to be faced with the decision, am I gonna deny Christ and live or am I going to say, no, 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 I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and that may cause me to die. I don't believe any of us have ever been faced with that, even though that's what they were faced with in the, in the churches that Peter is writing to. Even though we haven't faced that type of persecution or that type of adversity, we have gone through different adversity today and I wonder what it's revealed about us. As I look back in 2020 and having the responsibility to play a role in leading this church through something that I never thought I would ever have to lead through, it's revealed certain things about me, certain things that I've needed to confess to the Lord, certain things that I've, I've, where I was like, man, I thought I had that. I thought I had an answer to that and not. The same is true of you. So when we look at this passage of scripture this morning, what I want to encourage us is as we look at it is to really ask ourselves, how do we, and when I say we, I mean me as a church leader, our elders as church leaders, our life group leaders who lead our small group ministry, and also you who call this place your home as a church 
member, family member, or someone who is coming to this church and, and this is where you go to church, how do we navigate through difficult circumstances and really through circumstances that are amazing? How do we navigate through life as people who make up Salem Chapel? That's what I want our mindset to be as we look at this passage of scripture. So here's the title of the message this morning. The church is to be different. That's true of the universal church. What I mean by universal church, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, you are a part of Christ's church universally. Doesn't matter if you go to First Baptist of whatever or Salem Chapel or any other church that stands on the gospel. We are all part of the church. But I want us to get specific this morning. We're going to talk about because we're here, we're part of Salem Chapel. What does God expect of Salem Chapel? He expects us to be different. That the way that we operate should be different, not in a, once again, not in a pretentious way, but in a way that says, man, I want what they have. I want to be part of that community because that community has something that I'm looking for that I'm not experiencing. Churches to be different. So here's the idea that I want you to get, and and then we're going to jump into this passage of Scripture. This morning, here's what I want us to get, that the church shows that it's different. Salem Chapel shows that it is different. How? By its humility toward one another. How? We show how we live with humility. Now, let's look at this passage of Scripture, and you'll see why I say that. Look at verse 1. Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, let's stop there. Even though I know the verses are on the screen, let's just take them off for a second so you're not tempted to read ahead. So, The very first word of verse one is so. Now remember what what I've taught you if you didn't know this already. When you see so or you see therefore when you're reading something and you've just jumped into a passage of scripture, that ought to compel you to read above that because a conclusion is being made based on something that has been laid out already. So I know it's been a couple weeks and we haven't been in 1 Peter, so Mark taught on this passage of scripture in chapter four, but I just wanna draw your attention to verse 17. Because in verse 17, what Peter is doing is he's making an analogy back to what we find in Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is a crazy book. If you've never read it through before. Is it God's word? Absolutely. But, but it's just a little crazy. But he's writing to Jewish believers, so they would have been familiar with Ezekiel because it's in the Old Testament. So he he references, but in verse 17 he says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So he's making a reference, most people believe, to Ezekiel where, where God is telling Ezekiel, Ezekiel, before you ever focus on what's going on in the world, My people need to take inventory of what's going on in their life because judgment starts on what's going on with people who should know better before they ever focus on people that that don't know better. And so he's drawing that analogy to say, to give instruction to the churches 
in Asia Minor, hey, before you start throwing rocks at how bad the world is, make sure that you're taking inventory to see how you are living your life. Because judgment starts there. Accountability starts there. So when we come to verse 1 and he says, so, he's saying then, well, here's how it happens. Here's how you live faithfully. Here's how you live differently. And it starts with the elders taking responsibility, the church taking responsibility with the responsibility that God has entrusted to them. So go to verse two. Here's the responsibilities. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We're gonna talk about what all this means here in a second. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion or obligation. That's what compulsion means. So not doing it because you have to. Like, oh, these people. But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's a term that's often used in the New Testament to refer to the church. If you ever kept sheep, I know we got some people in here who have kept sheep, you would know that that's not necessarily an endearing term. We're gonna take all the time to describe what sheep are often like. But nevertheless, even though it's not necessarily an endearing term often, it's a good explanation of how we operate. He says, shepherd the flock of God. Verse three, not domineering, I just read this over, those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, as we look at this passage of scripture, let's remind ourselves, we're once again seeing how do we as a church operate with humility towards one another. And so really what I wanna do in these five verses, I know we haven't read verse five yet, but in these five verses, is I just want to show you from this text how humility towards one another is displayed. And I think it's displayed in two ways. And here's the first way, based on verses one through four. It's displayed by a church leadership that leads with humility. Because he starts with the church leadership. That if we're gonna be different as a church, if we're gonna have a community that other people are like, man, I wanna be a part of that, that's something that I wanna experience. That's something that I don't have in my life. If we're gonna be seen as different in that way, then it happens by us showing humility towards one another, but it starts with church leadership saying, we see as our responsibility, I see as my responsibility to lead with humility. Well, how is that demonstrated? Well, let me give you some ways. This isn't on your screen right now. We'll get to the screen here in a second, so you just gotta listen a little bit more. Here's how the first way humility is demonstrated. I see this from verse one. Church leaders see the necessity to be growing in their personal relationship with Jesus. Not a nicety, a necessity. Here's why I say that. Because as Peter is going to be giving these instructions that we're gonna look at and unpack here in a minute, before he does that, Peter says, hey, what I'm gonna give to you, I just want you to understand that I am also a church leader. So in other words, what I am gonna be laying out to you is also expected of me. And it is so important in the church. 
for church leadership to see as a necessity for them to continually be growing in their relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. I don't know who's all in this room today. You could be here visiting and you're connected with another church. You could be watching online and, and you go to another church and your church doesn't just happen to be open so you're watching me online or you could be here today and you're like, well, I'm part of such and such a church but, but I'm here because you know, I'm on vacation, my church isn't opened yet, whatever it may be. You could be here today and you're a pastor and you're on vacation and you deserve to be on vacation and you're here today or you're watching online and you're listening to this on a run during this week, whatever it may be. What I'm gonna give you It's not just for Salem Chapel, but listen to me. Here's what's not lost on me. It's for all intents and purposes, though I want you to, this to be the last church home you ever have. Like you're part of Salem Chapel that Jesus calls you home. I want that, I desire that, I desire that for me. But I also know we live in a transient society. Do you know that the average person stays at a church for three years or less? Now, there's some good reasons for that. You're like, hey, I went to this church and they're not teaching the word of God, so unfortunately I had to leave that church and I'm not saying there aren't good reasons for you to leave church. You move, whatever it is. But we live in a transient society. Some people are hitting the eject button too quick. Some people should have hit it long ago. I mean, all different types of reasons, but the average person stays in a church three years or less. Here's what I know. That means that Salem Chapel will most likely not be the last church that you call home. So why am I giving this to you and saying, let's just skip over these verses because four of the five verses don't apply to you if you're not in church leadership because I have no idea how long you'll be in this place. I want it to be forever or until Jesus comes back, but I know it very well may not be the case. So you need to know what you need to look for in church leadership. And it's so important that church leaders, first of all, see the necessity to be growing in their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Before I ever can open up God's word and say, here's what God has for you, I better be saying, God, what do you have for me? See, I can't lead someone to where I'm not going or where I haven't been. We just put on the back of the auditorium what we want to be about as a church, to make and mobilize disciples in Winston-Salem and around the world. But I can't disciple someone to where I'm not currently going or where I haven't been. How many of you have ever played in any organized sport at all, or you were ever took music lessons or anything. Like, I think I covered the whole gamut. Like, how many of you raise your hand? Okay, the rest of you, um, I don't know what you've been doing in life, but I think I pretty much covered it. Like, I'm throwing karate in there, like, like anything that involves any activity. What makes someone qualified to be a coach? They ought to have some assemblance of whatever they are coaching, some type of expertise. They're, they're good at it. They've, they, they have accolades. They have a resume that shows that they're competent in what they're doing. That's part of what makes a good coach. Why? Because you can't take someone to where you're not going or where you haven't been. And the same is true of church leadership. 
Church leadership cannot operate the way that God has instructed it to if it does not see a necessity to be continually growing in their own relationship with the Lord. Listen to me. I need to be continually growing in my relationship with the Lord to be who God has called me to be as the senior pastor of this church. I can't do it without that. And what's sad to say is even in this last year of 2020, we've had people that are very prominent in our Christian circles who have fallen and things have come out about them. And I'm not gonna mention names because honestly it should not be something that's celebrated. Like, you know, some of you, man, you're online, like the National Enquirer, when someone falls, man, you're just eating it up. Like, that's not the way that you should be operating. Listen, I've had friends that I personally know that were in ministry a year ago at this time, and they are no longer. And it grieves me, and I'm every time shocked by it. But do you want to know the, this, the common denominator as I've talked to some friends who that happened to, and praise God, they're on the path to, to restoration. You know what it came down to? They said, I got to the place where I thought that what I was teaching and what I was instructing other people to do no longer applied to me. It's great for thee. You know the phrase, not for me. And I just love how in this passage of scripture, the very first thing Peter does is he says, hey, what I'm about to instruct you to, I want, to, I want you to understand that I am a fellow elder. It's, necess- it's necessary, it's a necessity for me to live this way too. Here's the second way humility is demonstrated by church leaderships. Church leadership, church leaders carry out their responsibility with Jesus as the example. Not the favorite pastor that I like to listen on YouTube. He's not my example. God bless him, but he's not my example. I have pastors that I like to listen to and listen to their messages and are gifted with, with tremendous teaching gifts and different things like that. I read books for, by guys who are, who are doing things well. That's all well and awesome. They're not my example. They're not your example. Jesus is the example he points that out in verse verse four, and he is the motivations. So let me just go through quickly, what are the responsibilities of church leadership? Because we got some people in here, I'm not alone on this stage, we got elders in here. Like I said, we may have pastors in this room, you may be aspiring to be a pastor, we may have people listening online, you may be leaving this church, so you need to make sure that you, whatever church you get plugged into, Whenever that may happen, that this is what's happening. Here's the first responsibility, and it's based on where it says in verse two, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You know what the first responsibility is? Teach the word with humility. Like what we're doing right now is a responsibility of the church leadership. That word shepherd, it has the idea of feed. Now, when I say that, I say that hesitantly. Because you know what the phrase is that I used to, that sometimes is used, like if you're old school church, you're gonna know this phrase. Well, I'm leaving that church because I just don't feel like I'm getting fed. I hate that phrase. You better never say that phrase to me. And I don't mean about me. 
But you better never say that to me if you've left a church and you're here and you're like, well, I just wasn't getting fed. I'm like, oh, excuse me, how long have you been a believer? I've been a believer for 25 years. You can't feed yourself? Like if I got a 25-year-old, my 25-year-old, not yet, but my daughter who'll be, when she's 25 or my son who's 25 and they say I can't feed myself, that's a problem. There's reasons why medically that isn't happening. So I don't mean that, well, I'm coming today, preacher, and you better have brought your A game because if you didn't bring your A game, I ain't eating all week. That's not what I mean. Every day you ought to be saying, God, what do you have for me? And at the same time, is it a responsibility of the church leadership to teach God's word faithfully? Absolutely. I am not minimizing that at all. But listen to me. This was said to me by a mentor. This isn't, this isn't a Johnny Pereira statement. I wish it was. I wish I could say it was. But this stuck with me in my brain. He said to me, you know what the goal of preaching is? Now my mind goes, goes to, don't bore people. Don't preach too long. Use some funny illustrations every once in a while. No, no, no. You know what the goal of preaching is? A high view of Scripture. That's the responsibility of church leadership. That when we gather together, and it's important, we're commanded to do it in Scripture in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and God's Word is open and God's Word is taught, you know what it ought to do? It ought to create a hunger in you to want to get in God's Word yourself. It's not you walk, the goal of preaching is not you walking out of here and saying, man, I gotta send Johnny an email. That was amazing. It's not the goal. The goal is, is more and more people as they sin under God's word being equipped to do it themselves. That's discipleship. That's why we, in our reading plan, when we walk through books of the Bible, we have you read a week ahead. We're not trying to make it difficult on you. What we're doing is, is so you, when you've read a week ahead and you come on Sunday and I'm up here teaching, you're like, wow, I already have some things that God has shown me. And holy cow, that's literally the thing that I saw. Is, as you're unpacking that, I saw that too. Or maybe, man, I saw something different than you're even touching on. But, but, but God used that in my life in a profound way. That's the goal of preaching. That's why Peter says, your responsibility as an elder is to teach the word, but you do it humbly. God's word is the star. I'm not. Humbly. Here's the second thing. You protect the church with humility. So important. It says exercising oversight. Like oversight. Like this is something that God has given me the responsibility to lead and I, which means I also have a responsibility to protect. To protect. Great illustration of that is in Acts 20. Paul planted a church in Ephesus in Acts 20. And in verses 28 through 30, he's about to leave. And for all intents and purposes, in his mind, he's not coming back. And so it's a tearful goodbye. And he says this in verses 28 through 30. If you want to turn to Acts 20, you can leave your finger in 1 Peter 5. He says this to the leadership that he has 
uh, set up to continue leading this church. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, there's that illustration again of the church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. That phrase is just to emphasize the preciousness of the church universally, but also in our context, the preciousness. God looks at Salem Chapel as precious. He's purchased it with his blood. Why? Because those who make up the church have accepted Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. He says, I know that after my departure, speaking from Ephesus, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He's not talking about literal animals like wolves. He's using that as an analogy of people that will want to try to come into the church and literally cause you to believe that God's word is not true, that God's word is not best for you, that what you think trumps God's word. We can go on and on and on. Culture wants to do that. People may want to come in and to begin to spread things in the church and create followings that want to do that. And the responsibility of church leadership is to protect. Like shepherds, when wolves were coming to the sheep, they weren't like, oh, God bless you, wolf. Come on over, let me pet you, let me feed you. No, 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 you know what they did? They killed the wolves. Like you don't play around with that. We're protecting the sheep. It's a responsibility of church leadership. Not literally, obviously, to kill. But literally to say, hey, we need to be mindful of whoever is teaching God's word. Is it right? Is it true? Does it line up? That we're concerned that, that you aren't being led astray It's a weighty thing. Listen to me. I don't look at my calendar. I don't pull out my phone or on my computer and say, hey, let's see how many appointments I have this week to confront people of their sin. Oh, and you got two? Seriously? Man, that's not going to be a good week. Like, that's, nobody likes to sit down with someone and say, hey, unfortunately, I'm going to have to talk with this person in love, in humility, and just share with them how I'm concerned that I see them being led astray by something. What motivates that? Love. But it's not, I don't know a pastor who loves those conversations. I don't know an elder who loves those conversations. But why do they do it? They do it out of love and they do it out of a calling because that's what God expects because they ought to love Christ's church the way that he loves it. What's another one? Look at what it says. It keeps going. It says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Here's the third thing. They, church leaders, lead by example with humility. This is a leadership principle that applies outside of the pastoral realm. But if you're leading people and you have to remind them that you're you're the leader, you're probably not leading well. (laughs) Right? Hey, just to remind everybody, hey, I'm your leader. That is the moment that you have already lost control. 
And what Peter is saying, no, 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 you don't domineer. You don't need to remind them every moment of every second that you are the leader or you are one of the church leaders. That's not how you lead. How do you lead? You lead by example. Lead out of humility. Because here's what I've found. Those are the people that I want to follow. Because they're not asking me to do something that they aren't striving to do themselves. And you can't lead by example without humility. It's impossible. But you can domineer, domine, be domineering over people without humility all day long. And it's unfortunate that there are people who are followers of Jesus Christ that are dischanted today by church because leaders have led this way. And if that's you and you're here this morning, can I just say I'm so thankful that you're here? Can I just empathize? I know the pain of what that is like. Can I say online if you're watching today that God sees that pain, but can I also encourage you Don't abandon the church. As we just read in Acts 20, it's purchased by his own blood. Can it be jacked up? For sure. Because we're all jacked up. But don't abandon Christ's church. And the way that we guard ourselves against causing people to feel that way is we lead by example. Listen, that's why qualifications are given of church leaders in 1 Timothy 3. We don't have time to turn there this morning. And Titus 1. Like if in the margin of your Bible in 1 Peter 5, just write 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Those are the qualifications of individuals to be church leaders. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but there are character qualifications for someone that is to lead. Why? Because character trumps competency and capacity all day long. Do you want to know why church leaders fall? Is because we get caught up into thinking that if, my, if I grow my capacity and I grow my competency, that that's going to make me a better leader. And what we can easily fall into the trap of is in growing our competency and our capacity, we start believing that it's what I can do rather than what Christ can do in me, and I allow character to take a drop off of the importance in my mind, of the scale of importance in my mind, and eventually what will happen is, is I will become a statistic like everybody else. Why? Because I failed to value the most important thing, which is my character, And it's true of you as well. Leaders lead by example. Here's the last responsibility that I see of church leaders, and then we're going to move on to you. (laughs) View church as a responsibility to steward with humility rather than something you possess. Because Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears... So he's been using this analogy of sheep, right, in the flock... Which means that these church leaders are to operate as shepherds. But then he says, when the chief shepherd appears. So because he calls him chief, Peter does, you know what he was reminding these elders? You're not the chief. 
You're not the, I'm not the chief of Salem Chapel. I don't want to be. You may think I am. I'm not the chief. I am ultimately, even though I introduce myself, you know, because you, you, have, you need to kind of know who I am. Like, hey, I'm Johnny. I'm privileged to be the senior pastor of Salem Chapel. Listen to me. I say that and also understanding Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. God could take my life today. I don't want that to happen, but he could. And this church is gonna be okay. Why? Because Jesus was the senior pastor, is the senior pastor, and will be the senior pastor of this church and the entire church. Why? Because he's the chief shepherd. And it's very easy for church leaders to start thinking of the church as something that they possess that they own rather than something that is their assignment. Listen to me, I hope that God has me here the rest of my days. But I need to always remind myself that this is an assignment. It's not mine. It's not any elders in this church. It's not any pastor in this church. It's not any life group leaders. This is Christ's church. And the moment that we start thinking that it's ours is the moment that we stop leading with humility. And how do we do all of this? Because remember, Jesus is my example, but he's also the motivation. Here's how I do it. And he mentioned this throughout these verses. I do it lovingly, not out of obligation, man. I do it lovingly. I do it because I love you. Church leaders do it because they love you. Our elders ought to do it because they love you. Your small group leader ought to want to lead that small group because they love you. Do it lovingly. Do it eagerly. Just to be transparent, I can't say every day I've gotten up and say, yes, I am senior pastor of Salem Chapel. You know, in those moments, you know what? That's been a sign for me to get back into God's word. Get back into asking the Holy Spirit, God, where do I need to grow in my humility? And to do it lovingly, we're to do it eagerly, and we're, do, we're to do it by looking to Jesus as our example. Because here's the motivation. He says, when the chef, chief shepherd appears, what will he do for individuals who are leading his church with humility? He says that you, they will receive an unfading crown of glory. Listen, if you're doing it for money, and you're doing it because you have a platform, and you're doing it for the applause, like, dude, your, your ministry is short lived. Like, I doubt you'll make it a month. What's the motivation? It's the same for all of us. That one day, when we stand before Jesus, and we don't know exactly what that looks like, that we'll be able to say, Lord, I did this for you. And sometimes that may seem like, really, that's it? All but friend. When you're there, you'd be so thankful you did. See, here's what Jesus did. He taught the word of God. He was the word of God. We see that all throughout the gospels. He protected those under his care. 
We see that as he rebuked the Pharisees of their piousness. We see that when he drove the money changers out of the temple. He led his followers by setting an example. We see that in showing his disciples what it looked like to love others without prejudice, what it looked like to minister to the least of these, what it looked like to be a servant as he washed their feet in John 13, what it looked like to submit to the will of the Father as he prays in the garden with his disciples there. Man, Jesus led his followers by example, and Jesus' purpose was paramount. He was dead set on the joy that was set before him, as Hebrews 12, 2 says. And he did it all with the mindset of humility. Philippians 2. So what's our responsibility as a congregation? not just as church leaders, but as a congregation. And we'll be done this morning, and it's found in verse five. Look at verse five. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Place yourself under their care. Is that idea of subject. Clothe yourselves, all of you. You ought to underline that. That's why we said our main idea this morning is the church shows that it's different by its humility towards one another. All of you, leaders, followers of the church, all of you, put on this humility. Hopefully you change your clothes every day. So just like I change my clothes every day and I put it on and I put it on and I put on clothes every day, that's the idea. Humility is not a gift you have. It's not on any spiritual gifts test you take, I promise you. It's not like, you know what, I've arrived. And I'm a humble person now, and I want to tell you about it. Every day I got to put it on. It's a choice. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you want to know why churches sometimes aren't moving forward and don't see momentum and don't see God working in and through them the way that they should? Because humility is not present. That's what the verse says. God opposes the proud. See, here's the second way we demonstrate humility. Not just a church leadership that leads with humility, but a church congregation that follows with humility. Let me read to you Hebrews 13, 17. The writer of Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Remember, that's one of the responsibilities, to protect. As those who will have to give an account. Church leaders will give an account one day for how they have led his church. Now listen what he says. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Like if you've got a group of people that you are leading and all they want to do is complain, I think about Moses and the children of Israel. And all they want to do is complain you are actually contributing to the problem because you are not making that leader who is called to lead you better, you're actually making it worse. So for no advantage to you. So how does a church congregation follow with humility? Well, I think it's important to look at the church a certain way. So you look at it one of two ways. This morning, you can look at the church, you're watching online, you can look at the church from a consumeristic mentality, which means when you come, you're like, what can the church provide for me? 
right? So you come in and you're like, well, I sure hope, you know, I, I got my child in the car to agree to go to Salem Kids and they have a certain teacher that they just seem to jive with. And so you go and you drop them off downstairs and you see that that teacher isn't there and you're like, come on. And then you come upstairs and, and you come into the auditorium and, or, or before you get to the auditorium, you're like, man, when are they gonna have coffee again? I knew I would get a response. <laughs> and then you get into the auditorium and, and you sit down and, and, and you're sitting there and, and you're, you know, you're dinking on your phone and, and then you're like, man, I really ain't into these worship songs. Like, you know, that person's not playing today or, oh man, they don't have, they have the volume too low or too high and man, they're not singing the songs that really are my favorite. When are they gonna sing that song again? And, and then, and then all of a sudden we, we, we open up God's word and you're like, really? Like I really wasn't into that passage of scripture. I wasn't, wasn't looking forward to that passage of scripture. Oh, it's not the preacher that I wanted today. And, and you walk out of the doors and you're like, man, I got nothing from church today. Like I could have stayed home and slept in. And you see where I'm going. It's oftentimes how we can approach church. Can I encourage you? There's another way to approach church, not a consumeristic mentality, but with a contributor mentality. Like saying before I even get up and get in my car to go to church, man, we're going to church today. We're gathering with other people that love Jesus. Let me make sure that I'm preparing my heart for what I'm about to walk into. Listen, it ain't lost on me. The devil inhabits your kids on Sunday morning like a way he doesn't any other day of the week. My grandmother, my Puerto Rican grandmother used to have this little Spanish saying, and I'll just say it in translation. She used to say that the devil warms little fires at the end of the bed to keep you in bed on Sunday mornings. But a contributor way says, no, 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 man, I'm, I'm about to do something that's holy, that's precious, that's commanded by God, and oh, how I've longed for it and missed it, the opportunities, even in this last year, and so I'm gonna prepare my heart first, and then I'm gonna be like prayed up knowing that, that it's gonna be harder to get my kids ready this morning, and it's gonna be harder to show up on time th today, and, 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 but, but I'm gonna come into this place, and I'm gonna be ready to contribute I wanna give the Lord my praise. I wanna give the Lord my worship and lay my life before his word. I mean, I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna thank the people that are watching my kids because I know how they were this Sunday morning. And I'm gonna see that my resources are given me to by God to give, to contribute to the work, to press out the gospel in the city and around the world. And I'm gonna look at ways, oh, there's, a, there's an opening there. Holy cow, I noticed that someone wasn't there. Let me see how I can contribute and how I can serve. We can go on and on and on and on. But see, you don't ask that. You don't see church that way if you are not thinking with humility. Let me give you a perfect example, COVID. Now let me say this before I say this. I am so thankful, and I mean this with all sincerity, 
I feel so loved by this church. Our staff feel so loved by this church. You may not even know this, but our life group leaders every month, a different life group shows the staff appreciation through acts of kindness. That has meant so much to me and our staff. We are privileged to be loved in this church as leaders. So I'm gonna say this for other pastors of other churches in different places. It has been so easy for so many people to want to shoot darts at churches on what they're doing or what they're not doing in this pandemic of this last year. I can't believe they're not opened up yet. I can't believe they've opened up too soon. I can't believe that, that, that they aren't doing this in their services. I can't believe that they're asking people to wear a mask. I can't believe that they're not asking people to wear a mask. I can't believe that they don't have kids ministry yet. I need at least an hour from my kids. I've been with them every morning, noon, and night all day long. I can't believe that they are having kids. And we go on and on. I can't believe that, uh, that they aren't spraying every handrail. Oh, they're spraying every handrail, but they missed a little dot on the handrail over there. Oh, I can't believe that that person walked by this person who didn't have a mask on. I can't, we could go on and on and on and on and on. And state the obvious in saying, there was no book you could pick up, How to Lead Your Church Through a Pandemic. Now, there's going to be a bunch here in about six months. <laughs> and I'm not writing one. So easy. Instead of exercising humility and saying, man, I can't imagine what it must be like to have to lead a church through something like this. I can't imagine what it's like to lead a small group through something, something like this. And you have your life group leader and they're like, okay, what's the group want to do? Okay, everyone feels comfortable with Zoom. Okay, we're going to do Zoom. I've never led a life group over Zoom. I've let, let alone never been on a meeting with Zoom. Now I gotta lead a life group through Zoom. It was hard enough to lead a life group in person, but now I'm gonna lead a life group through Zoom. And then, I'm, and then everybody wants to do Zoom, and so then we're gonna have our first night, and everybody's supposed to show on, and you have that time where you're sitting there as the host of that group. Everybody's done Zoom enough to know what I'm talking about now. And you're waiting for everybody to jump on, and all of a sudden there's crickets, and all of a sudden, boop, one person bump, jumps on. You got 12 people in your group. One person, two people show up, the other... The other 10 don't show up, but those other 10 said they wanted to do Zoom. And then they're like, okay, that didn't seem to work out. Okay, now we're comfortable with all the men meeting one week and the women meeting the other week. And then all of a sudden what happens? Three or four people show up. Nobody else shows up. Don't, re don't return your texts. Don't return your phone calls. You know what begins to happen to the life group leader? They start to feel like they're a terrible leader. Because the people in that group, and I'm not giving, saying this because I know that this is what's going on. I just know, I've been doing this game long enough to know. But nobody thinks, that, wow, I wonder how hard that must be to open up your home. And then nobody shows up to take time out of your busy week where you're trying to learn how to navigate through COVID yourself in your own family, in your own workplace, and you're giving two hours of your time to minister to me, but I don't show up and I don't tell you why and I don't respond with the text. This, this is grassroots how humility is played out. 
And that's happening in churches all over our country. Pastors saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Small group leaders saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And the devil has worked his way in and taking something to his advantage. Why? Because the churches have forgotten how to operate. Church leaders have forgotten to lead with humility and people have forgotten to follow with humility. Take it outside of COVID. You got your small group leader, you got some church leader and he's having a conversation with someone or he walks by you and he doesn't say hello and you're like, I can't believe that she didn't say hello to me. I can't believe that he didn't say hello to me. I can't believe that they didn't even acknowledge me. I've been coming to this church for 10 years. I can't believe that they didn't acknowledge me. Have you ever thought maybe they have something on their mind? A problem to solve that thankfully you don't have to. Like we can go on and on and on with this. And I love how God's word works. I love God's sovereignty because it's like, I didn't say, you know what? In July of this last year, when I played out the sermon calendar for the year, I didn't say, you know what? We're gonna deal with 1 Peter 5 because we're gonna be dealing with COVID still in, what month is it? April. That's just how it works. And what a great reminder for us today of the importance of humility. Here's a question to gauge how you're demonstrating humility towards others. Because you might be sitting here today and say, man, I'm doing pretty well. We might be here today and say, man, I'm like batting zero. Here's the question. Would I want to be held to the standard that I am holding someone else to? That is a great question to show you how you are showing humility. Because we do such a terrible job at giving grace to someone else. And we do an too good a job of showing grace to ourselves. Mark 12, 30 and 31, verses that we know so well, where Jesus is posed with a question, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. What is Jesus doing? When I am loving God with everything that I am, because I can't love God with everything that I am without also loving him for his grace that he shows me every day. And when I'm doing that, what do I do? then I'm able to love my neighbor as myself. I'm able to extend the same grace that God is showing me. How do I know I'm following with humility if I'm showing the same grace, according to this passage, to the church leadership that God is showing to me? If we operate that way here at Salem Chapel, we're gonna have to get more seats. We're going to have to start more churches because a church community that leads and follows with humility, man, that is a community that people want to be a part of. I pray that for you. I pray that for me. May we lead lives this week with humility. God, we're here today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how timely it always is. Hebrews 4.12 says, it is a sword that pierces exactly where it needs to touch.
God, I thank you for what you are doing in this church. I thank you for the culture of care and humility that you are building in this church. I thank you for the opportunity to lead this church with other faithful men and women. But God, may we guard what you are building in this place. Understanding that the enemy wants to steal and to kill and destroy. But God, may we look to you as our example. And we show love and we show humility and we show grace to one another so that we can be an example that we are different. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Would you stand with us this morning?